This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Just a quick heads up, there may or may not be a guest host next week. I got involved with a pretty cool project that I'll be able to talk about very soon, but I may have to go spend a few days working on that next week, so we'll see what happens. But uh, either expect things as normal or the same type of thing, but with a guest host. So I guess we'll just find out next week. But for now, let's jump into the news. First, I just wanted to follow up with something I talked about last week, the Fortraflex cables. So first, I got the name wrong. It wasn't Fortaflex. It was Fortraflex. Um, oops, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't accidentally start the, you know, calling it the wrong name. Uh, but I received mine, and I checked it out on the Genesis 3. Um, and unfortunately, it was just too short to work. I had to strip off um, a little bit of the rubber in order to make the barrel long enough. Uh, and I didn't do the neatest job, so you could, anybody watching on video will see I kind of hacked it. Um, but that's the shorter side now uh, Now that it's in there. So that's all it took was just a little bit of trimming. I spoke to Rachel, and she said that she was going to uh, elongate the barrels on all of these so that they would just fit on all model Genesis. Uh, so it won't be as long as you see here. It'll be, if you're seeing on screen, not up on this part, but kind of down here where, uh, you know, so it'll be a longer barrel, but it won't be ugly or unsafe or anything like that. Um, and even the other 75-ohm coax cables that she uses are just long enough for the Genesis 3, so hopefully she'll give us another quarter millimeter on those or something. But overall, uh, I love the functionality of them. I put them on a scope, they, they seemed fine, but to be honest, any of the major um, cable manufacturers, they're uh, one console plugged into one device like a scope or a monitor or a capture card they're pretty much all going to perform close to the same uh the shielding and all that other stuff really is something that you have to take your whole scenario into consideration how many wires you have running next to it all that stuff so it seemed you know it was built fine and it, it, it scoped fine no problem but the functionality of it was awesome. Uh, you can see in the picture how it just, that right angle makes it go straight back. So I would hope that Rachel would concentrate next on the other cables that would benefit from that. So I think definitely um, any of the ones used on the Turbo Graphics consoles, which would be this one, as well as the 8-pin mini DIN, and of course then the, the bigger, both 8-pins, the DIN and mini DIN. Um, and I think, I think with these three, we might be covered for all consoles with side ports like this. Uh, but please post if I forgot one. I'm pretty sure the three cables uh, she would need, and I think she already has Saturn out too, but the ones that would be the most helpful are eight pin mini DIN, eight pin regular DIN, and nine pin mini DIN, which is already here. So overall, cool. I just wanted to give a quick update. Uh, and if you got yours and need to um, use it on a Genesis 3, just do a little bit of trimming. Um, if you have like a vice and uh, you know a, a Dremel, you could make a very nice cut. If you don't, just you know 
hack, open, hack it open like mine and you should be fine. But overall, pretty neat, and I'm glad, uh, as always, always happy for more choices. The older game, The Seventh Guest, has just received a 25th anniversary remastered edition. Um, and I remember playing this as a kid and really liking it. I, I think I bought it on maybe an iPad a few years ago, but then never got around to playing it. So um, maybe this is a good time to revisit it. Um, it's got a bunch of features like new gameplay controls. Uh, you could quickly skip through any scene. That's going to be a big help with any of those. Um, new, uh, new keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that. But it also said it has much improved voice acting audio and all new optional subtitles. So I'm wondering, I hope they didn't dub the original actors' voices because, uh, you know, they weren't the most uh, captiva captivating performances, but it would just be weird to have somebody else's voice on top of that. But either way, it's pretty neat. Um, and, of course, there's uh, the retro settings, so you can play with original graphics, original music, and controls, which I think is cool. Um, I remember that for Wonder Boy and Monster's Trap. Uh, or Dragon's Trap, and uh, I would switch back and forth all the time just to kind of see what it was like, but I always did prefer the newer graphics. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I had every intention of doing a full playthrough on the CDI because uh, you could really take advantage of the keyboard and mouse for the CDI, and then I never got around to it. So I thought that uh, maybe if somebody out there has a full CDI kit, they could do a live stream of it or something like that. But more information, as well as uh, the trailer for it, is available in the post. I think there's some misspellings in the trailer, which is kind of funny. And also, if you want to watch a great review of the game, Pushing Up Roses did a review of it that I, I thought was absolutely wonderful, so I stuck that in the link as well. But uh, a pretty neat game. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how it would hold up today, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to make a thing of it one of these days and give it a run. The Behar brothers have just announced a project they're working on that takes a Neo Geo MVS and outputs in 480p VGA. So it goes directly from the DAC, the digital to analog converter, and their device attaches on to do a lag-free, no-frame buffer line doubling. So it's essentially what you would expect from the OSSC, but this is tapping the direct DAC, the direct digital to analog converter, so it should provide a very high-quality signal. Uh, and I guess they chose VGA over everything else because you could keep the original refresh rate and it won't be a problem with most CRT monitors, whereas if you kept the original refresh rate, you'd have the same issues that you have with the OSSC, so some compatibility on some TVs. And the uncertainty is things that do bother a lot of people. I'd rather just, in many cases, rather just know um, one way or the other. But it seems like a pretty cool device. Uh, they have pictures of the prototype stuff now, so no... None of this is finalized. Um, they'll have vent holes and stuff in, uh, in the main design, but basically it's just meant to be um, a high-quality, inexpensive, uh, consolized MVS, and they'll have some special colors and special editions and stuff to uh, celebrate the anniversary of their company. Um, now, no pricing or availability yet, but they're going to have more info as soon as they can, and they're also going to have their Saturn to Neo Geo controller adapters ready at the same time. So overall, it seems like a neat project. Um, there seems to be a lot going on in the Neo Geo world these days, and with all of the ROM carts that are available now, it finally makes it feasible for your average enthusiast to, to experience these games on original hardware, whereas it never was before. Stone Age Gamer has just announced all the available options they'll be selling the SD to SNES Pro in. 
Uh, and the one important note is that the all-region model will be based on the European version of the Super Nintendo, uh, so it's going to look kind of like a Super Famicom Super Nintendo cartridge. And the first 150 of them will only fit in the uh, in those style. So um, it's not going to be totally universal just for the first 150. And then after that, the uh, they'll have they'll have used up all of the old ones and be able to sell an all-region version that really does fit in everything, kind of like um, their last versions of all of that. So not too big of a deal. Um, tons and tons of color options and cool stuff, though. Uh, you know, everything from the case to uh, the cartridge itself, available in many different colors. Um, and, of course, they'll have their usual bundling with SD cards and all that. Um, so if you're interested or if you're interested in the trade-in program, um, please take a look at the post, and it should have everything you need to know right in there. And speaking of the SD to SNES, firmware updates have just been posted for both the original and the Pro version. Uh, and I believe it's the same file. You just dump it into the directory structure the same exact way you would on both, and it automatically knows which ones that you're using. Um, there was actually a few firmware updates, and in fact, this latest one, 1.10.3, was released and pulled a couple times just because of, of um, basic web errors and stuff like that. But the latest version, as always, could be found in the same spot right on the SD to SNES blog. Um, and it's this one's mostly fixes. There are any, uh, you know, I think a lot of us have gotten used to those pretty major updates every time that there was an SD to SNES firmware. Um, but this one's just a lot of really great maintenance and fixes. Uh, and it's list, each of those are listed on whether it's for both of them or for the original or just the pro. But if you're interested in which ones, check out the post. Or if you don't care and you just want your new firmware, like me most of the time, uh, just go right to the SD to SNES website. Last week, a Goodwill in Seattle came across an orange Halo Edition Xbox, which was pretty rare. Uh, it came in a, a kind of neat-looking, clear, translucent orange case, and they decided to put it up for auction on eBay and donate the profits for charity. Uh, unfortunately, though, even though at the time of this writing, the auction got up to $20,000, it seemed like Goodwill ended uh, the auction early. So I'm not I have no idea the story that went into this. I was actually looking forward to following up on this from the time Vanessa wrote the article till now. Uh, but when I went back to check on it, it just said the listed the listing was ended by the seller because the item is no longer available. Um, and it just shows the starting bid of ten dollars. It doesn't show any of the the history or anything. So not really sure what happened with that. Thought it was going to be a cool story, but uh, I, I wonder what happened behind the scenes and why they took it down. The web store Supersonics has just opened pre-orders on a ton of accessories and brand new items for the MSX computers. Things like adapters that allow you to play Sega Master System games on the MSX, as well as a MIDI interface so you can interface and create music with it. So there just seems to be a ton of awesome stuff in this post, uh, way too long to read through the whole thing. So if you're an MSX fan and you want to take a look at some pretty awesome enhancements that, to be honest, I didn't think could ever be uh, even added to an MSX, definitely check it out and see if you're interested. Video Game Perfection has just announced the CoreU Transcoder, a composite and S-Video to component video converter. Um, and I'm really excited for this because I think this fills a pretty big hole in the retro gaming market in that 
if you needed to convert either composite or S-video to component or RGB, up until now, your only choices were devices that handled 240p wrong, so it processed it as 480i, or devices that were very expensive or added a ton of lag. So you could find some Xtron devices that did it, but they were, um, they were expensive, and I think some of them even added one frame of lag. And you could have used the RetroTank, but then you would have to go and use a converter to go back from HDMI to something like VGA. And I think a device like this, while it was designed with the OSSC in mind, is a little more important than that. Um, the first thing that popped into my mind were people with Sony BVMs that only have component and RGB input cards and don't want to spend you know, upwards of $200 sometimes if you needed it recapped. Uh, for a brand new composite video input card. There's also some uh, monitors and displays out there that won't handle composite or S-video. So on the analog side of things, um, you know, that handles, uh, that really covers quite a lot of ground. And then of course, now you could just use a, a very short shielded cable to go from this into the OSSC and have direct analog capabilities. So this is by no means a replacement for the RetroTINK. It does no scaling. Um, it only is just a one-to-one -one converter. It takes composite and doesn't change anything about it except puts it into a component video signal. So while this product isn't for everybody, uh, I think the people that it is for, their ears are perking up right now as I'm talking about it because they can already see the use that they need for it um, on consoles that just don't have RGB mods or for really a, a many long list of other reasons. So uh, there's no... There's no price or availability yet, um, but if you just go to Video Game Perfection, they should have a mailing list up, hopefully by the time this airs. Um, and then I think Matt will eventually do the, the usual, get on the mailing list, put a small order in, and kind of go from there. Um, but I'm very happy that, it, uh, that this is made, because now there's a ton of people uh, that this, you know, hopefully somewhat inexpensive device could just fill that need, and you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. So... Uh, very cool that this is available, and I'll let everybody know when there's more info. More of the Neo Save Master memory cards went on sale last week. Uh, they sold out pretty much immediately, but there are plans on more of them being made. So I guess uh, talking about it in the podcast today is more of just a reminder for people. Um, if you're looking for a memory card for the Neo Geo consoles, either the AES or any of the MVSs that uh, have that ability... The original ones were battery-based and weren't able to hold very many save slots. Whereas these aftermarkets, um, you don't have to worry about the battery and it could hold a lot more storage. And I believe there's a, a cool little LED status light now, so uh, AES users could now have a light knowing that their console's on. So I guess this is now just, uh, when I posted it, I did so just to remind people that the pre-orders were open that day. But I, I guess this is just a reminder that they'll be open again somewhat in the near future. I believe late April, uh, I remember reading. So it seems like a pretty cool thing. Um, it, you know, I didn't realize so many different Neo Geo games um, were able to be used with saves. I just assumed most weren't. So I was, uh, which is, you know, kind of an ignorant thing to say, I know. But I was just impressed when I read about this. So I'll probably end up picking one up in the next batch. The Kickstarter campaign was started and funded for a 100-plus page book about the Virtual Boy. Uh, I guess this started out as an April Fool's joke last year, but it generated so much interest that people went ahead and did it. 
and the project looks like it's completely funded. Um, they were asking for $2,000, and as of now, they're already up to eight. So it looks like a completely funded project, and it looks like a pretty neat book. So it's cool to see the Virtual Boy getting some more love. And speaking of the Virtual Boy, there is now a progress update on the Multiboy 32 ROM cart. Um, Kevin Mellett has posted that he had received quotes and selected a board house for the initial prototype run of 10 carts. Uh, but those are going to be kind of costly, so he's looking to secure funding for these before he goes ahead. So he's considering a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter or just a direct funding campaign or something. Um, and my personal opinion on this is that I've uh, bought stuff from Kevin before. I would be completely happy just uh, paying for mine in advance and worrying about worrying about it whenever. Uh, Kevin's delivered on everything that he's promised so far. So, uh, you know, if if he... If he opens up pre-orders, I'm in regardless of what, uh, how he chooses to do it. Just because this is something I've wanted for a really long time. The, the Flash Boy is already out there, and it's a great product, but it can't do hyper-fighting. I think it has trouble with some other homebrews. Uh, there's no save game support. You can't back up your save games on it. And I just like to have the whole library on one cart that's easily, you know, you could just drop ROMs onto an SD card. I just don't like having to go through that GUI and padding the ROMs and get everything working. I know maybe that's just me being lazy, but I just like having everything right there as I need it. So uh, I'll make sure to let anybody know what's going on with the project. Uh, if Kevin has any kind of pre-orders opening, starts a Kickstarter, whatever, uh, I'll post immediately and let people know. I just know that whatever way he chooses, I'm in, because I'm really looking forward to this. Genovi just posted his latest in his video series about unreleased or canceled 32X games. Uh, and this one had a tidbit that I found really interesting. The same team that did the Space Harrier and Afterburner conversions was scheduled to convert OutRun to the 32X, but then that ended up getting canceled right before it happened, so there's no beta ROM floating around or anything. And that really bummed me out, because I love OutRun. And uh, the Saturn version's great, I just would love a cartridge version where you don't have to worry about boot times or anything like that. So, uh, as always, the whole rest of the video was awesome. I just wanted to point out that one little tidbit that certainly sucked me in. But um, if you're into the unreleased or cancelled series of stuff, uh, definitely check out that video, as well as all the others that Genovi's worked on that I linked to in the same post. The team behind Stella, the Atari 2600 emulator, has just ported the latest version 6 to the Retron 77. So I guess the Retron 77 is a clone console from Hyperkin that runs off Stella version 3, and upgrading it to 6 just gets you all of the, the new features and enhancements. And it's pretty easy to do. All you have to do is download the file, unzip it, and then flash that image file to an SD card using something like Win32 Disk Imager. So it's about as easy as you could imagine. Um, certainly a little bit easier than configuring a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and it's neat. It just gives you more options. To, and the Atari 2600 is one of those consoles that's problematic because unless you go pick up an old CRT with an RF input, it's, you know, it's complicated for your average person to get that running on modern TVs. You have to install Tim's kit. Um, you know, then you might need an upscaler. So having one $65 device that with, you know, if you have any nerd friends within a few moments could be upgraded to Stellar version 6, it seems like overall a pretty good thing to purchase now for casual 2600 gamers that just want a neat solution for flat screens. 
Um, one thing to note is the release notes said support for all cartridges out there, including all ARM-based games. And somebody tweeted me to let me know that that actually meant support for all ROMs of all cartridges, because apparently the cartridge jumper built into the Retron 77 will always have certain issues with certain carts. So I don't know which is true or not. I, I don't have a Retron 77. I'd like to borrow one just to test now, because this seems kind of neat. Um, but even even then, I don't have any of the cartridges that are supposedly problem carts. So uh, if anybody has one of these to test and can confirm, uh, you know, it's always nice to have multiple confirmations on something just because. But overall, it looks like we finally have a, a cheap, decent at least, solution just to get Atari 2600 cartridges on a flat screen TV in 720p. It looks like there's now another way to resurrect dead CPS2 boards. AJEFR has just posted a new method that's different to Undam's Infinikey that allows you to desuicide the boards and get them up and running again. So uh, I guess this version uses a PIC microcontroller that you have to solder to different pins uh, and that takes care of it. But to be honest, um, while I'm super appreciative of all these methods, I'm just so happy they're here because there was a lot of CPS2 boards just sitting around that weren't able to be used because of this stuff. So. Um, it, you know, my very strong suggestion to anybody with a CPS2 is use whatever method's easiest for you to buy. I imagine if you're in France, that's probably the easiest, but whatever. Whatever it is, just do the, the de-suicide prevention on any of these CPS2s so you just don't have to worry about it at all anymore. Um, I've heard horror stories about people in the middle of an event and their board suicides. I actually heard a story that there was one brand of super gun causing that at an event, and it was havoc. So uh, don't wait for it to happen. Just get these methods in so you never have to worry about the board dying on you in any way. Um, I finally was able to get one, uh, a CPS2 Multi, uh, as well as the HDMI kit and the CPS2 itself, thanks to Undamned. And it's awesome. I'm, I'm using it to test and learn so much about this stuff. It's been it's been fun to play, but it's also been a really helpful tool. And uh, it, of course, has the Infinity in there, so I never have to worry about it. So please make sure that you, uh, you fix up your CPS2s so you don't have to worry about this stuff, uh, especially if you're running any kind of um, arcade tournament or anything like that. Genovi just posted a written review of the new review album called Techno Optimistic. And this is the music that I talked about a while back that was written and recorded on a Sega Genesis cartridge. So it was designed to be listened through real hardware. And of course the tracks are available on Bandcamp and stuff, but uh, I just think this is an awesome project and Genovi did an amazing job on the review. But you know, this is something that I, I, it hits home for all of my favorite things, you know, classic game consoles, music, all that stuff. Uh, the only thing I didn't see, so you could purchase the cartridge now, um, and I, I plan on it because I just love projects like this, but I would also like to see the ROM be available for purchase because there are those of us that just don't have the space for all this stuff. Um, and, you know, to be honest, while I appreciate everything that goes into it, I really would just love to be able to listen to the music right now through a Genesis. So um, maybe I missed it. Maybe it's available and I just didn't see it in the page. But either way, that's my only request. But I am going to purchase one just because I think it's absolutely awesome. 
and uh, would really like to. In fact, I want to use this to test out the triple bypass on a few different consoles and do some comparisons because I think this would be a great way to demonstrate the difference between the two sound chips as well as the enhancements that can be done to those things. So, pretty cool project. Uh, and anybody interested, all the links as well as the awesome review are linked down below. There's a new documentary on the audio company Roland who's made devices that pretty much changed the way a lot of us listen to music. Anything from the famous 808 drum to even the devices that made the music that did the Doom soundtrack. So uh, any audiophiles or nerds or just anybody that likes a good documentary, definitely check this one out. I've only gotten a few minutes into it so far, but uh, I'm looking forward to going in and finishing it and seeing, uh, seeing what else they have to say. Professor Abrasive has just posted an update on the Sega Saturn plug-and-play optical drive emulator, and it looks like the beta hardware is in, and this new manufacturer got it right. He was having problems with an old manufacturer that wouldn't make it up to specs, and he's also got a 3D printed case pretty much nailed down and thinks he likes the design. Um, so I guess there's a little bit more testing there, and while I assume the betas will get that 3D print case, the final design will have SLA plastics, so it'll be a more polished-looking product, I guess. Um, and also, he didn't mention anything about when the betas are going out, uh, release date for the main ones or anything, but he did detail the exact process that he's going through to do the manufacturing testing, and that's something that I think a lot of people overlook or might not even know is a thing. But basically, if you want to do a larger run of something, you need to, on the production line, build from scratch your own hardware and software that's designed to test your product. Um, and that's really hard and really time-consuming, and uh, a lot of people skip that. And I guess, you know, for small runs of things, I, I certainly don't think there would be, like if there was only going to be 50 of these made, there's certainly no need to do that. You could test them all yourself. But hopefully he'll be making tons of these so we won't have to wait to get them. And that's when uh, stuff like a test jig setup is really important. So I'm glad that he's really bending over backwards to make sure that he makes these the right way. And if anybody's interested in the details and all that, please check out his post on Patreon. Displaced Gamers just posted a video that explains why when you take a Japanese console you have to use channel 95 or 96 if you use the RF output rather than channel 2 or 3 like you normally would with the US console. Um, they do a great job as always with uh, the visualizations on explaining what the issue is and they also show you how to go in and change the dial inside the RF jack inside your Famicom so that you could retune it to what would be channel 6 on a North American TV. Um, and that's something that I think is a great tip uh, because it's fully reversible, easily reversible in fact for anybody that's looking to preserve the original Japanese console. But if you choose to game through RF for whatever reason, um, it just makes it much easier if you're trying to do so on North American TVs. So you don't have to worry if your TV is compatible. You can just retune it and get it locked in so it works on your RF TV. Uh, there's a bunch of other cool stuff in the video, but it's a short video and a great one. So if you've ever had to screw on an, R uh, an RF jack into your old crank TV growing up, definitely give it a watch because uh, it's pretty neat. Well, that's it for this week. 
As always, thank you so much to everybody that supports this channel, whether it's Bitbacker, Subscribestar, Patreon, or if you're a YouTube watcher that just hits the join button. Uh, it's all equally appreciated, and it's what keeps these videos and all of the behind-the-scenes work going. So thank you all so much, and uh, as always, I'm looking forward to reading the comments and seeing what people think of this week's episode, and I'll see you next week. I think. I hope. <laughs>